Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our Christmas series today, The Word Became Flesh. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, An Invitation to Meet Jesus. I've been noticing how often the Bible tells us, well, to celebrate, to rejoice, to have a festival, have a party. One of the grandest parties the Bible speaks about is the party that happens when someone who is lost is found. Luke 15, which tells of the return of the prodigal son, says, but we had to celebrate. The Bible tells us that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Heaven itself has a celebration every time one person comes to Christ. Well, why is that? Well, in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He said that after Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector in Jericho, a man who had gotten rich by extorting dishonest gain, well, he repented, determined to pay back everyone he had robbed. Jesus said, I came to earth for just such a reason. Luke chapter 5, verse 32, following the conversion of Matthew, another tax collector, Jesus is being severely criticized by the Pharisees because he's eating and drinking with tax collectors and and other disreputable people. In his answer, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, in a recent election, one politician called some of those people who were voting for her opponent a basket of deplorables. Indeed, that's exactly who followed Jesus, and Jesus literally reveled in that. In John 1, 35 to 41, we find the beginnings of the group of people who will eventually be chosen to become the 12 disciples. But please don't see this text as Jesus calling the 12. What we have here in John chapter 1 are the beginnings of the gathering of people who started to abandon John the Baptist in order to become the followers of Jesus. So as we read this text, we should be aware that following Jesus in this context simply means to be his disciple. Now, before Jesus chose the 12, a choice that's recorded in Matthew 4, Luke 5, many of the men who were chosen to become apostles, well, these men had already been following Jesus for some time. Now, before we go further, you might ask, how is this anything to do with Christmas? And of course, it doesn't. But please know This is really appropriate at this time of the year to combine two important events in the Christian calendar. See, we know from Christian history that the celebration of the birth of Jesus took form sometime later. That is, the early church didn't actually celebrate Christmas. But very early, there there seems to have been a celebration called Epiphany, which was the celebration of the public appearance of Jesus, that is, the beginning of his public ministry. So I, for my part, feel quite comfortable combining those two events, that is, the birth of Jesus and his public appearance on the national scale. See, I notice that that in the book of John, the Apostle John does the same thing. He begins his book by telling us that the eternal word became flesh, speaking of the birth of Jesus, and then he very quickly moves to John the Baptist and the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And we also learned that John the Baptist had a singular role in the world. His role was to pave the way for the appearance of Jesus on the public stage. 
John viewed himself as the opening act, drawing the crowds, setting the stage, so that when Jesus appeared, the crowds would already be ready for him. Epiphany, the public appearance of the Word made flesh. And from this, I think there's something vital to learn. What motivates people to become followers of Jesus? Look, I'm not asking the question from from the eternal perspective. I, I know, I know, God elects his own. I know that the Holy Spirit works in the human heart. He opens us up to find Jesus and to welcome him. And John the Apostle has already told us that in John 1.13. He speaks of children of God who are born not of the will of man, but they're born of God. Yet there are means, listen to me, there are means whereby men and women are drawn to follow Jesus. So let's have a look at how a group of them chose to follow Jesus. I begin by reading John chapter 1, 35 to 37. It says, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So let's review. John the Baptist believed his entire ministry was pointing people to Jesus, encouraging them to be not his follower, but the followers of Jesus. One day, he pointed two of his disciples to Jesus. The first one was Andrew. You're going to see that later in verse 40. The second one was most likely the Apostle John, the man who wrote this book, the book of the Gospel of John. Now, before I go on, you might wonder, how do I know that the Apostle John is this second disciple? Well, in answer to that, I simply note that from the church fathers onward, that that that's been the traditional interpretation of this passage, and and I see no reason for not believing that it's exactly that way. Please also notice the, the specifics that we find in this passage. In verse 39, we're going to see that the Apostle John says that these things occurred about the 10th hour, which, by the way, in our way of reckoning, would actually be around four o'clock in the afternoon. So at least so it seems to me, this is evidence of a firsthand account. That is, the person describing this event actually experienced this event. So again, it seems quite likely that this was John the Apostle along with Andrew who left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. So please also notice that Andrew and John had been attracted by the ministry of John the Baptist, and that he, that is John the Baptist, had an influence on those two men's lives. John the Baptist taught those two men that the Messiah was coming. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said to Andrew and John, look over there, you two men. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And upon hearing that, those two men left John the Baptist and set out to follow Jesus. Now, In this, I see one of the most common ways in which people actually become followers of Jesus. A trusted teacher, pastor, someone points these people to Jesus and tells them, you know, you can trust your lives into his hands. You remember that in Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul makes exactly that point. Verse 14, he asks, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I raise this issue because there are some who are really sloppy in their theology. They think, well, you know, God can gather in his own, and it requires no human effort at all. You know, this kind of thinking is a direct violation to Scripture. Think about it. Jesus didn't just appear on the public stage. God arranged matters in such a way that someone was preaching and encouraging all Israel to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. 
And then in the case of Andrew and John, they needed an additional push. John the Baptist called these two followers of his and he said to them, look, guys, pay attention. This is the Lamb of God. Now, as you remember, John the Baptist had said those things before, but now he reinforces it as if to say to Andrew and John, look, men, that's the direction you need to go in your lives. And if you didn't get it before when I said it publicly, let me reinforce this matter privately when it's just the three of us together. Look, men, that's the Lamb of God. Do you know what to do? Let me explain something. In North America today, Over 80% of Christians will have made a commitment to follow Jesus while they're still under the age of 20. See, I can't even begin to estimate the impact of Sunday school teachers, youth sponsors, children, and youth workers in bringing people to Christ. I myself was led to Christ by a faithful pastor when I was 19 years of age. First, I learned to trust that man then his ability to show me the love of Christ in spite of my sin that broke my heart. It tore down all the barriers that I had erected against the gospel. Never underestimate the impact that Christian leaders have in their teaching and the behavior to affect the next generation of young people, but also in the community to touch people who've never heard the gospel. See, at a time when confidence in Christian leaders is in crisis mode, that is in some circles, John the Baptist's example of willingness to point people to Christ is refreshing. The world today is in desperate need of pastors and Christian leaders of every stripe who are prepared to lay aside their own personal ambitions because they desire to lead others to Christ. You know, you might be a young man or a woman who's struggling with the call of full-time ministry. You might be saying, you know, I can make more money elsewhere. You can. You might think of the hours that are long and challenges that are hard, and they are. You might think, who needs the criticism? And indeed, let me assure you, there is a lot of criticism out there. But this event tells me the counsel, the nudging, the teaching, the personal interaction, and the smile of a loving face finally breaks through and leads men and women to want to follow Jesus. What do I believe? This question shapes how we live, how we respond to life. And your support is essential to providing this ministry opportunity to teach the Bible. It allows for us to answer questions about God, faith, suffering, sexuality, questions elusive in a society increasingly hostile to the Bible and its teaching. Recently, a mom sent us this question. My 10-year-old son was very discouraged. He prays every night to keep the world safe. He said, I'm praying really hard, and why are people and children still being killed? Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't he stop it? Well, Back to the Bible Canada exists to teach the Bible, to respond to the tough questions of life and faith. Could we ask you to continue to support us for this purpose? December is a critical month, and our goal by December 31st is to raise $400,000. Your gift is essential. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. Think through the situation again. Andrew and John were there when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus. They were there when John the Baptist talked about the coming of the Messiah. They were there 
when he publicly identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. But now, he has to take them aside and provide them with both the encouragement and the support to leave him and to follow Jesus. And that's still needed today. This account of John the Baptist pointing two of his followers to Jesus not only tells us of the role of John the Baptist as the forerunner and messenger of Christ, but it also tells us how Jesus responded when Andrew and John came to him. So let's keep reading our account. I'm reading verses 38 and 39. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. You know, at first glance, Jesus' opening question just seems a little harsh. I mean, what do you want, he asks. But seeing correctly, he's exploring their motivation. What is it that you're after when you want to follow me? Now, their answer doesn't seem to be an answer. They want to know where he's staying. But hold on to that thought for just a moment. I'm going to get to that. But for now, let's concentrate on Jesus' question. What is it, he asks, that you're actually seeking when when you follow me? You know, it's the question of motivation. Jesus wants to explore with them. And this, I think, is a key question for every would-be follower of Jesus. See, many of us are afraid to do this. We're afraid that if we ask those who are coming to Christ the hard questions, that, that maybe we're going to drive them away. In fact, I'm sure it drives no one away, provided the questions are asked in a loving manner. See, unless this question of motivation is explored, and it's explored thoroughly, one often has false conversions, people following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. You know, I once had a mentor who told me something I've never forgotten. He said, that which we win them with, we have won them too. He meant if we win people promising them that all their problems are going to be solved when they follow Christ, then we've won them to a personal problem solver, not to a Lord and Master who demands complete authority over their lives. You see, this is a very important question to ask. I have a very distinct memory from my years as a pastor. I know of one individual who professed faith in Christ on a Sunday morning. And then, by Monday afternoon, he had already decided that he had given Christianity a fair shot, and he was convinced it didn't work. I mean, to put it mildly, I mean, I was intrigued. I mean, could he tell me what was going on in his head? What is it that he thought he gained by confessing Christ on Sunday? And what was it that he thought he had lost in less than 24 hours? Now, he told me that he came to church because he was being evicted from his apartment. And he thought that if he responded to God, he would not be evicted. And the next morning, he was evicted anyway, and he decided to abandon his 24-hour faith. You know, if Jesus had asked him, what do you want? He would have said, I want to keep my apartment. And as it turns out, God was having none of it. God was not going to pay his lapsed rental bill. There are others who come because they're looking for a miracle or relief for their finances or healing or or they want some other thing that God should be able to give them. They want Christ on their terms. And all of this is not to say that coming to Christ with our needs is wrong or that only those whose motivation is pure are actually going to be saved. But Jesus is interested in exposing us when we come to him. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He put it this way. There comes a moment when children who have been playing at burglars, 
hushed suddenly. Was that a real footstep in the hall? There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back. Supposing we really found him. We never meant it to come to that. We're still supposing he found us. So it is a sort of Rubicon. One goes across or not. But if one does, one may be in for anything. See, there comes a moment when Jesus actually confronts us. What is it that you want? And our answer will depend upon whether we spend time with him. Now, to the answer. Andrew and John say, we want to know where you're staying. See, John the Baptist had identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And and I have no doubt that Andrew and John come to Jesus because of that. But they don't properly know what to say to Jesus' question outside of the fact that they want to see where he lives. Can we spend some time with you? That's their request. I mean, after that, they, they really don't know how to answer the question. But the answer, I think, is quite instructive. I came to Christ for a number of reasons, and I, I suppose that one of those reasons was that, well, I was afraid to go to hell. Another reason was because I was genuinely unhappy. And another was I longed for what I saw in some people that I deeply admired. And further, I think I couldn't solve what I thought was the God thing in my life. I had already dabbled in some forms of Eastern spirituality, and, and I had this sense that, that I was traveling into an inescapable maze What I'm saying is that when I think about my own conversion, I mean, I'm struck by the variety of motivations I had. I I couldn't possibly at that stage of my life make sense out of my jumbled and confused motivations in coming to Christ. Things have changed over the years. I now want to know Christ. I have a picture I, I kept in my office for many years. Let me explain it to you. The caption at the bottom read, Safely Home. The scripture verse at the bottom was from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, which reads, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the picture shows a young man dressed in a casual shirt and jeans, and at his feet are shackles which have just come off. And on the ground is a crown which he's dropped. And in the background is an angel holding a white robe. He'd just come to heaven, and he's lost every chain that bound him. But all of that just doesn't matter. In fact, you get the sense from the picture that he has dropped everything and has ran as hard as he could and then plunged into the open grasp of Jesus who's just embraced him and and wrapped his arms around him. He's, He's safe at last. You know, I'd sometimes stare at that picture. I'd think, I want to run into the arms of Jesus when I get to heaven. I want to hear him call me by name. I want to run to him, him whom I've loved since I've come to know him. You know, death, although it's ominous, it's not so terrifying to me anymore. I just want to worship at Jesus' feet. I'm not so sure I understand when this desire started, but I know that's why I now live. Can you hear the words of Jesus to those two would-be followers, Andrew and John? What do you want? What do you want? And the response is not as clear as it will be years later, but it's a very good response. They ask to stay with Jesus, and they stay with him that day. And even though uh, we're not told what transpired on that occasion, we do know that there were two outcomes. One is that these two will become two of the 12 apostles of Jesus. But there is another response, which is the one we read about in verses 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, it says, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. 
Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You know, notice that our text says that the first thing Andrew did was find his brother. Billy Graham used to call this Operation Andrew. It's simply a fact that the greatest potential for evangelism happens among those who are a part of our household. In fact, let me say this. That household evangelism is, is a secret to explaining how it is that the early church grew so rapidly. See, let me explain. John chapter 4, verses 50 to 53, records the incident of Jesus healing an official son. The official was no doubt a Roman centurion. And following that healing, the text simply reads, and he, that is, the Roman centurion, believed. But the sentence doesn't actually end there. Not only did the official believe, the text says, so also did his household. But in these few verses, did you notice the cascade of events? First, there is the testimony of John the Baptist encouraging his followers to follow Jesus. Then there is the response of the first followers. They spend time with Jesus. Then they contact members of their family. Do you see the pattern? God is the cause of the new birth, but the means he uses comes through some very ordinary events. The encouragement of a leader the testimony of the person who has encountered Christ, the faithful witness within a family, the faithful witness among friends. And so when Jesus began his ministry, that's exactly how his popularity grew. And that's exactly how Jesus' ministry still grows today. It still does in the same fashion. Thanks, John, so much. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued. I know people, and probably you do too, that have said, well, you know, I might come to Jesus when I've got it all figured out, but this isn't what's happening in this scene. It sure isn't, and I don't think it happens in any scenes. I mean, the, the reality is that Christ came for sinners, uh, for the outcast. He came for those whose lives are not together. So if you're looking to get it together, you don't need a savior. I mean, the people that don't have it together, they're the ones that desperately need one. So if you've been hesitating for that reason, you need to come to God, you need to come to Christ with all the mess that you drag behind you because Christ is the only one that's gonna clean that stuff up. So you can't clean it up. And, and so that's why he came. He came for people like you. Uh, so come to him today. That's, that's my invitation. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow for more of this Christmas series right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. If you were to ask, what is Back to the Bible Canada all about? The answer would be, we teach the Bible. For 60 years, it's been our purpose, mission, our focus for all we do, and what people expect. Brian wrote, Back to the Bible, Canada has transformed my walk with God. Elisa, some use caffeine to start their day. I prefer Back to the Bible, Canada. It helps me to remember God's character and promises. It helps me to make wise kingdom choices in a very distracting world. And Tyler wrote, thank you for all you do. Your messages help me in my walk, discovering God's purpose in my life. Would you help us continue to teach the Bible? Your gift by December 31st would help us reach our year-end goal of $400,000, positioning us well for 2018. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.com.
www.thepeopleshow.ca.